You're listening to Seattle Sports Saturday with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. No time to exhale. At least that's how it goes every single week here in the NFC West. The Seahawks take one on the chin last Sunday, and yet here we are faced with another challenge in about 24 hours from now, 27 hours from now or so. I'm Curtis Rogers. This is Seattle Sports Saturday. Taylor Jacobs, he'll be with us in just a matter of moments. But the Seahawks with another huge challenge awaiting them on Sunday, one that will have a different feel to it, I guess, than compared to last season against the 49ers. Everybody knew the 49ers were the team to beat in the NFC West. Right now, though, they find themselves in last place, but last place in the NFC West is not last place in any other division. In fact, last place in the NFC West this year could still get you into the playoffs. The 49ers, they're at 4-3. and three. The Seahawks at 5-1 and one atop the NFC West. But those pesky, pesky San Francisco 49ers, they've won two straight and now may be gaining a little bit of momentum here. But the Seahawks, they've got the best quarterback in the NFL. They've got the best offense in the NFL. But also, don't forget, though, the Seahawks, with those injuries to their running backs, who's going to be toting the rock on Sunday? DJ Dallas looks like he'll get the the load on Sunday, but who else is going to be out there? Will it be Travis Homer? Will it be Carlos Hyde? Heck, will it be Chris Carson? He participated in yesterday's practice. It could be any of those guys. Also, today it's Halloween, so things are going to get a little weird. That's just kind of how it goes. But hopefully things don't get too weird. And then, coming up at 1030 today, we have got one of the best people in the world, one of your favorites, one of our favorites, the Graz. He's going to be stopping by. We'll get into some 49ers talk with him as the Seahawks look to remain atop the NFC West for at least another week here. But also this week, there was a huge trade the Seahawks swung. We won't see Carlos Dunlap out on the field on Sunday, but we will next Sunday against the Buffalo Bills. How will that trade influence Seattle's decision-making as the trade deadline is now just a couple of days away? It's Tuesday. It's Election Day. That is when the NFL's trade deadline will happen. But we've got so much to get to within these next two hours here on the Seattle Sports Saturday. And I mean, yeah, this show is entitled Seattle Sports Saturday, but it's really the whole day here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You just heard John Clayton taking your phone calls uh, from 8 to 10. Coming up after this, we've got the golf show with Jim Moore and Sean Crew. And then later on, uh, you will hear Cougar Football Saturday with Jessamine McIntyre and, and uh, Matt Chazanow, Alex Brink. And then we've got the huddle. We've got uh, Hawks Live as well. So much to get to. And I think we've got Taylor Jacobs ready to go. Is, is, is that correct, Taylor? Greetings, Earthlings. Can you hear me? Oh, we can hear you. <laughs> Sorry, I'm on. We can definitely yeah. hear you. On a weird connection here for a little bit, having some tech issues, but that's okay. We're powering through, finding a way. It's Saturday. we got to bring you the content, and uh, I'm excited to talk about this upcoming 49ers matchup. College football is coming back here to the state of Washington soon. It's a big time to uh, be a sports fan here in the Northwest, Curtis. It definitely is, and uh, let's not waste any more time. Let's get to the 10 o'clock's Big Three. Number one. Well, like I mentioned, the Seahawks and 49ers will do battle on Sunday. 
But there's going to be some notable warriors not on the field for both sides of these uh, two teams. Shaquille Griffin officially ruled out. Carlos Hyde, Mike Yapati, Ugo Amadi, all listed as doubtful. So most likely that we won't be seeing those uh, three guys on Sunday. Chris Carson, however, and Travis Homer, both on the questionable list, along with Benton Mayoa, Jamal Adams, and Ryan Neal. So a bit of good news for the secondary there. And uh, you might be seeing some of the familiar running backs other than DJ Dallas in the backfield, hopefully on Sunday. But on the 49ers side, it's not all great there either. Wide receiver Debo Samuel and running back Jeffrey Wilson both out. Richie James, Jaquiski Tart, and Quan Alexander are all doubtful. Jimmy Ward and Kentavious Street all questionable for San Fran. So what injuries will play the biggest impact on Sunday? We're going to dive into that next at 10-15. Number two. We're a handful of days away from the NFL trade deadline, and you can't knock the Seahawks for trying to improve their pass rush. Seattle earlier this week shelled out a 2021 seventh-round pick and B.J. Finney for Cincinnati's veteran pass rusher Carlos Dunlap. Dunlap has spent all of his previous 11 seasons in the NFL with the Bengals, but saw his playing time take a significant dip in 2020 as the team attempts to rebuild. Now, John Schneider, Seahawks general manager, he acquired that seventh-round pick that was sent to Cincy in the Quandre Diggs trade a year ago. Last year, he sent a fifth-rounder to Detroit for Diggs that they got from Pittsburgh in a trade for Nick Vanette. So basically, Seattle turned Nick Vanette, a rarely used third-string tight end, into Quandre Diggs and Carlos Dunlap. Not too shabby from the Seahawks front office. And Dunlap, very excited to come to Seattle as uh, he was very fed up with what was going on with the Bengals front office. So fed up, in fact, that he put his house up for sale on social media in the days leading up to his trade. Uh, We will get into the Seahawks' big in-season trades coming up at 1045 today. Does the Seahawks' magic work on everyone, and why do they target specifically disgruntled players when they look to acquire guys at the deadline. We'll get into that coming up at 1045 today. Number three. Curtis, like you mentioned, trade deadline quickly approaching in the NFL. Will the Seahawks make another move before it passes? With COVID protocols in place now, what is the impact going to be like in a few weeks? Because they have to go through that, that process, and it's not an immediate impact that you will be feeling on the field, but a lot of questions still remain about the Seattle team, specifically more on the defensive side than the offensive side. Uh, but time's ticking down as far, and the players that they could be targeting are also quickly disappearing, uh, which Everson Griffin on his way to Detroit to be playing there for the Lions in the NFC North. And that's one option again, but a couple options still out there. The Ryans of Washington, Ryan Kerrigan and Ryan Anderson, both potentially available. Tack McKinley, another name that's been mentioned. We want to know from you guys, who are some of the players that you'd like to see the Seahawks going after before the trade deadline passes? Text in 710-710. And stay tuned as we're going to talk about the trades and everything here in the next couple hours. And uh, as we approach that trade deadline, Curtis, it's, uh, it's getting interesting. Usually John Schneider, pretty active around this time. We're lucky here in Seattle. We've got some GMs who like wheeling and dealing. We definitely do. And John Schneider 
definitely one of the most aggressive in the NFL. That is this hour's big three. Like Taylor said, be sure to text in to 710-710. If you want to join in the conversation at any point here on this Seattle Sports Saturday, that's the way you want to do it. Um, But, yeah, plenty of trade deadline talk coming your way today as we're just a couple days away from that. It's going to be on Tuesday at 1 o'clock p.m. here on the West Coast. Uh, Some honorable mentions for the big three today. We're a week away from Pac-12 football season. Kind of feels like we've missed out on on the the meat of the college football season. But the Pac-12, they'll be getting into it next Saturday. So the Cougs and the Huskies kicking off late, late into the night. 7.30 kickoffs for both the Cougs and Huskies. Uh, Cougs taking on Oregon State and the Huskies taking on Cal down in Berkeley. Uh, so it'll be a late one. We'll have the entire game, the entire pregame show for the Cougs uh, coming up next Saturday. I believe coverage starts at about 5.30, two hours prior to kickoff. So we'll have that here on 710 ESPN Seattle next Saturday. Some Mariners news. They declined their 2021 option on D. Strange Gordon, but did resign. Reliever Kendall Graveman, he'll be back in the fold. Uh, dealt with some injuries in 2020. Uh, also came back from Tommy John surgery. Uh, a guy who's very well liked within the clubhouse. I think you could tell that by his uh, video conference call this last week uh, with the members of the Seattle media. That uh, the, the guys in the clubhouse, they've got Kendall Graveman's back. And then some really cool news yesterday. Uh, Sue Bird and Megan Rapino, two members of Seattle yeah. Sports Royalty, uh, they've been dating since, what, 2015 or so? It's been a while. Uh, but Sue Bird getting that second ring of 2020. Ooh. She got the title ring. Uh, now she's got the engagement ring. So shout out to those two love birds. Uh, always, I mean, Seattle Sports Royalty. I see what you did That's, there. Love birds. Hey, Sue, Sue Bird. Yeah, exactly. That's how that's how it always goes around here. Uh, but, yeah, if you want to join in on the conversation, text into the Busy Hard Seltzer text line 710-710. But coming up in this hour, like I said, we've got the Graz coming your way at 1030. We've got uh, looking at just all the in-season trades the Seahawks have made. Where does Carlos Dunlap fit into all of this? That's coming your way. But up next, which injury will have the biggest impact on Sunday? We talked that right here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Who among us didn't find themselves on this week's Seahawks injury report? I mean, it was about 30 pages deep or so it felt like. This is Seattle Sports Saturday. I'm Curtis Rogers joined by Taylor Jacobs. But looking at this Seahawks injury report this week, there are... So many key players to uh, what's going to be going down here on Sunday. Taylor, when you look at what uh, each of these guys normally bring to the table, which one do you think is going to have the biggest impact on on how the Seahawks fare tomorrow? That's a great question, Curtis. Uh, I'm probably going to say if Chris Carson can't go, I'm going to have to go with Chris Carson just because you need to establish that run against San Francisco. And uh, if, if you can't do that, then you're going to be in a world of trouble. They're going to be able to get after Russell. You know, this is a defensive front that has still some terror on it. And for me, establishing that run has been so crucial to this offense and letting Russ cook. So initially I'm going to go Chris Carson on, on looking at this list, but man, I think we can go through each one and make a case for each one of these guys 
to be one of the biggest impacts felt on Sunday. Yeah, I, I think for me, when I look at the players that are listed on this injury report and just what they bring to the Seahawks, to me, I, I think if Jamal Adams can't go for Seattle, I think that is going to have a huge impact because of how involved San Francisco gets George Kittle into their offense. That is somebody that if he, if Kittle gets going, watch out, because all of a sudden San Francisco now has the ability to throw in addition to that run game that, you know, no matter who it is that they have at running back, it seems like they're able to get 100 yards. Just look at it last week. No Raheem Mostert. He was placed on IR. He's going to be out for three weeks or so. But now, but last week they got Jeff Wilson Jr., who no one had really ever heard of, and he gets three touchdowns over 100 yards against that New England defense. Kyle Shanahan is just somebody that can scheme – really anything out of thin air on offense. And, and so for the Seahawks, a team that has struggled so much defensively in 2020, uh, you know, any sort of game that is average by NFL standards is a pretty dominant effort by the Seahawks. And I think Jamal Adams is a huge reason for that because he's missed, what, three straight games now. He still leads the team in sacks, and he's a, a member of your secondary. This is not somebody that is, you know, lining up in a three-point stance, you know, just – putting his hand into the ground ready to rush the quarterback. This is somebody that, you know, is asked to blitz every now and then, but when he does, he's very successful. But also his ability to drop back into coverage and just, you know, be that center fielder for the Seahawks. I think if he can't go, then, you know, I wonder how effective this defense is going to be, especially with no Shaquille Griffin, uh, potentially no Ryan Neal either. Yeah, Curtis, great point. And if you think about also Jamal Adams' role on this team as a safety, the tight end, George Kittle, he's a world breaker, right? And what sort of um, sort of safety net could he provide to Kittle? And we know the Seahawks' track record with tight ends and what they've been able to do to this team specifically. So, yeah, you're right, another addition or another sort of fact to uh, build the case for Jamal Adams is just – they're going to need him to help stop George Kittle because he's such a dominant receiver when he gets out into some open space. He can block. So he's one of those guys you need to help sort of null out of this game. And Jamal Adams is one of those big guys who uh, who can help uh, contribute to that. But you mentioned Shaquille Griffin. He's been so steady this season, Curtis. What do you think it's going to look like without Shaquille Griffin's over there really being that sort of solid, reliable DB? Well, I think Shaquille Griffin's absence is going to be, I think it's going to be felt as well because who's your number one cornerback without him? Is it, do you put Quentin Dunbar there? Uh, he, he appeared on the injury list this week. Is it, uh, you know, is it Trey Flowers, who I got to be honest, don't feel very comfortable about him being the number one cornerback, but Brandon Ayuk is the number one receiver for the 49ers. That is somebody that I don't know if he is ready for the the share of, of passes thrown his way the way Debo Samuel would be if, if Samuel were healthy. Obviously, Samuel going to be out on Sunday. Uh, he's been dealing with a hamstring injury this week that he suffered against the Patriots. To me, that that cornerback spot is going to be so so I think tenuous because Shaquille Griffin, you, you just kind of pencil him into the lineup each week. Don't really worry about him so much. Without him there, 
I mean, this is a Seahawks defense that gives up tons of yards to the air already. Uh, it, it becomes a, a bigger worry, but I don't know if, if if what he brings to the table is going to be as missed as what potentially Jamal Adams brings. Uh, but you mentioned the running backs there, Taylor. The poten- the possibility of three of these guys not playing, Carson Hyde and Homer, I, I would imagine at least one of them gives it a go on Sunday. But DJ Dallas is clearly going to be the starting running back just because he's the healthiest of the four that are on the roster right now. From what you've seen from DJ Dallas this season, are you comfortable with giving him maybe 15 to 20 carries on Sunday? Uh, no, definitely not. If, <laughs> if, if I'm being honest, I'd rather even go maybe get Marshawn from the Beast Mode store down there in Soda and see what he's up to to just sort of alleviate some of those uh, carries and some of that load off of DJ Dallas because as the bell cow right now, I don't think he's it, and I just think he's still really raw as far as his talent goes. So I would be stressing if I'm the Seahawks. It's wild how at the beginning of this year, and even a couple weeks ago, you looked at this running back group, and you're like, they're solid. They're deep, even with Carlos Hyde. You know, they they have enough Homer all backing uh, up Chris Carson. You thought they had enough of the horses in the stable to go ahead and, and get it done, but... Here we are, and it feels like the running back position is the biggest question mark on the offense by a long shot. And now, as we head into this big divisional matchup, coming off a, a tough OT loss, you know what? what is this run game going to be able to look like? Will they have to get Russell involved? Will they have to get some of the wide receivers involved? You know, are they going to get creative in some of the play calls there without a, a, a true running back? that they can rely on because if it's me right now I'm trying to get DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett out on those bubble screen space passes and trying to use those as the run game because I'm nervous Curtis I'm very nervous <laughs> the the old air raid that's how the running game is played yeah. through the air raid I get Russell Wilson thrown it 50 times uh, look, I, 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 if Russell throws it 50 times on Sunday, I'm pretty comfortable with that. And he, that even, I mean, yeah, there's the risk of the interceptions increasing just because of the sheer math of it all. And and you're putting the ball in the air that that many times, you're gonna have, uh, you, you know, you're, there's gonna be times where uh, you're gonna get picked off. But you know what? When the ball is in Russell Wilson's hands, that is when you're at your best shot of winning, I think, in 2020, just because uh, of how great he has been so far this season. He's, you know, he's the MVP of the league through the season's first half. And I think anybody who thinks otherwise uh, is just turning a blind eye to what's going on up here in the Northwest. Yeah, he threw three interceptions on Sunday night, but. If it weren't for him and, and Tyler Lockett and the connection that they had all throughout Sunday night's game, I don't know if the Seahawks are in position to win that game the way they were at multiple times and multiple instances throughout uh, the entirety of that game. So I think going up against San Francisco, a team that is going to be without Richard Sherman, they've got other question marks in that secondary, Jaquiski Tart, somebody who could probably miss some time uh tomorrow as well to me this game is going to be won and lost as all games are won and lost with the right arm of russell wilson and i mean that may not be very shocking to anybody tuning in here to seattle sports saturday but 
I think that is is just how this season is going to go. And and like Brian Schottenheimer said, we're going to let Russ cook, uh, you know, sort of on a game by game basis. There's no better time to do that than tomorrow in a game where most of your running back core will not be playing. Yeah, no, it's a great point, Curtis. And what one thing I do want to also point out is um, let's talk about just real quickly Ryan Neal. Before the start of the season, did you think he would even be on a list like this about we're talking about potential losses and a guy like Ryan Neal who wasn't even on the roster is one of those. And he's a serious consideration, right? He's been one of the the bright spots on that defense so far. And I just think it's so telling that, you know, this is where the Seahawks defense is. They've been pulling guys off the practice squad and trying to fill these holes as, you know, some of these guys go to the injury list. But Man, you have guys like Ryan Neal who can step up. I wonder who the next Ryan Neal for this team will be. And we may find out Sunday, right? We, we, I may be wrong. DJ Dallas may step up here and rush for 100 and look like a boss out there. But uh, it's really the Seahawks are in an interesting spot. And you just love to see it because you know that GM John Schneider is, is doing his best to get this team in position and putting the guys on this roster who can help them compete every Sunday game in game out well yeah and I think if if Ryan Neal can't go if Jamal Adams can't go that increases the importance of Demarius Randall somebody who they signed to their practice squad a couple weeks ago the veteran uh, who played for Cleveland last year who's played for I believe the Packers as well you know that's somebody that has been around the NFL and he was signed sort of in an emergency by this this Seattle team but all of a sudden now he could be getting some serious playing time, and Sunday is going to be, a, I think, a game where we see the most we've ever seen of Demarius Randall in a Seahawks uniform. Whether or not he's ready for that, uh, you know, really it doesn't matter because there's going to be plenty of opportunity for him to play with how many injuries there are in the secondary uh, to those key guys: Ugo Amadi, Shaquille Griffin, Jamal Adams, Ryan Neal. I mean, that's their starting group on most weeks here uh you know i looked there was somebody that pointed this out on twitter i I apologize uh for not uh remembering who it was but they said if those guys can't go seattle would be down their week one starting strong safety their week one backup strong safety their week one number one cornerback uh you know their week one starting nickel corner. I mean, it is just everybody that was expected to play this year. Uh, and, and I mean, Marquise Blair, he's been out all season long. He's going to miss the, the entirety of the season. So there, this secondary is just so banged up right now. Uh, you know, you wonder just how are these guys going to be able to make it through this game without these guys playing? Because it's going to be, it's going to be a pretty you know, stressful game. I think watching the defense out there go. Yeah. Ben don't break. Literally. That is the theme <laughs> sure. of the season. Ben do not break and just do enough to get Russell Wilson, the opportunity to win this game, get out there, get out of there with the W and just move on, try and get healthy, try and get some of these guys back. Because when this team's fully healthy and you look at this roster, they got some guys who can play, and the defense might be able to take a big step forward in this middle part of the season if they can get healthy and get some of those reps and that consistency playing together. 
It feels like the injuries have kind of superseded the rivalry of the 49ers and Seahawks coming into Sunday. And there's one yeah. person out there I know who, who has plenty of hatred for the 49ers, and it's someone who's coming up next. That is the Graz. He's going to stop by here on Seattle Sports Saturday. You do not want to miss that right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're going to take a look at some of the disgruntled players that the Seahawks have acquired in trades. Does the magic that the Seahawks have work on everybody? That's coming up at about 1045. But right now, we are joined by our friend and yours, the Graz, who is so kindly taking time out of his Saturday morning to join us here. Graz, let's get started because you, out of anybody that I know, hate the 49ers just so much. <laughs> what is it about the 49ers that just makes your blood boil? Well, for me, it started being a Cowboys fan, uh, you know, which I was as a kid growing up um, and uh, couldn't do anything about it, by the way. It was something that happened when I was a kid, and I can tell you that story if you want to hear it. But, you know, I was actually 22 years old. I just moved to California, was working in Sacramento, right out of college. Uh, and uh, it was about three or four weeks into the NFL season. And I, uh, the 49ers were a terrible team. They were in the midst of a 10-year stretch of losing in 81. And, and um, so I got a press pass, you know, third week into the season. They gave me one. They even gave me a pair of tickets. And the first game I went to was a game against the Cowboys. And that was when Bill Walsh benched Steve DeBerg for this third-round draft pick from a couple of years back named Joe Montana. And all of a sudden, the 49ers won 11 straight games, uh, beat the Cowboys that day, obviously. And then uh, fast forward to the NFC Championship game, uh, I had a sideline pass for it uh, and was actually standing in the end zone about five yards away from Dwight Clark when he made the catch. And I was probably the only person in that entire building who was disappointed about it. So that's where it began for me. I had my revenge a couple of years later when, when Dallas beat San Francisco in a playoff game there. And I remember when, uh, the, when the Seahawks joined the NFC West, I kept saying to my old partner on, on the air that, you know, Seahawks fans, you're going to find there's nothing more satisfying than hating the 49ers. And it took a few years, took the Rams being good until the 49ers got good again and Jim Harbaugh and, and then everyone kind of experienced what, what, what I've always experienced. And I stand by my statement. There's nothing better than hating the 49ers. You're absolutely right about that, Graz. I don't think there's been a, a rivalry that Seahawks fans have enjoyed more over the course of the franchise's history than than going up against the 49ers. Because the old AFC West rivalries, I mean, obviously there was hate for the Raiders and the Broncos especially, but it never felt like the hate was reciprocated by those teams exactly. towards Seattle. Exactly, Curtis. And, they were one way. I mean, you know, uh, you know, the Elway chant was a cool thing in the kingdom, but – you're totally right. I mean, the Raiders and Broncos were big arrivals for each other. But I remember my, my feeling when this one really hit was when they changed the color scheme of the BART, the Bay Area Rapid Transit trains. Remember that? And they oh, changed yeah. it to Seahawks colors, and they went nuts down in San Francisco. And that was really the first time that I felt like a pro sports team of any any stripe, you know, truly had a rivalry going because, you know, the, the 49ers were upset at the San Francisco people were upset at the color scheme. So, I agree with you completely. This was one that was reciprocated. It was Harbaugh versus Carroll. So you had a little something extra special. And, of course, they played games that were worth it. 
Graz, this week the Seahawks make the move to get Carlos Dunlap. Uh, he won't be playing on Sunday. He'll be playing next Sunday, though, against the Bills. But we we kind of noticed that it follows a trend of John Schneider and Pete Carroll targeting players that are disgruntled in their current situations. Uh, Dunlap, Jamal Adams, Quandre Diggs, uh, last year Jadevian Clowney, guys like that who you know maybe butting heads with their organization and, and the Seahawks are taking a flyer on him. Why do you think John Schneider and Pete Carroll specifically go after guys that are, are clearly unhappy with their current uh, with their current digs? I think you're talking about Pete Carroll driving this as much as John Schneider goes out and gets the guys. But Pete Carroll, you know, from a day-to-day basis, uh, the general manager and players have very little contact, very little. I mean, it's, it's you know, they, they meet them when they come in probably and meet them when they're, when they're, when they're cutting them on the way out. Uh, otherwise, the entire relationship is about the head coach. And Pete Carroll, uh, as we know, uh, has, has complete and utter faith in his ability to communicate. I mean, he has just a, a, an unwavering faith and his ability to communicate what he wants to communicate to players. So he, he looks for certain characteristics, uh, you know, just of, of whether or not a guy will, will, will play hard or not and, and lets the rest take care of itself. I mean, he knows that he can handle any personality that comes down the pike. And for the most part, he has been correct. There have been very few examples of guys, you know, and there, there's some guys that chance on that didn't work, but, um, you know, rarely is it because they didn't get along with Pete Carroll. So it's, it's in my book, it's 100% Pete Carroll. And, and look, it's remarkable that there's, there's no, not, nothing to compare it to him. I mean, I cannot think of another circumstance, Curtis, where Marshawn Lynch, who, who left the way he did, who at one point flipped off the sidelines, who, who, uh, you know, walked out, uh, didn't go to, didn't go on a, on a, a team transport to, to Minnesota during the playoffs to do all these things could actually come back in any other organization but the Seahawks. And, and that's Pete Carroll. Uh, he, he, he functions without an ego when it comes to dealing with players and, it really serves him well, and it serves the Seahawks well, in my opinion. Not only come back, but come back and get a hero's welcome, too. I mean, just seeing the contrast between how Marshawn left the organization a couple of years ago and, and then what happened last year, I mean, it was night and day, and, you know, you don't get that in any other organization, I feel like, in the NFL. And I think it's also kind of why there are some Seahawks fans that hold out hope that maybe somebody like Earl Thomas can come back later on. That's another guy disgruntled with what he was mm-hmm. doing in Baltimore. So who knows how that's going to go. Uh, Graz, we're, it's college football season, but it, it doesn't feel like it yeah. here in the West Coast. The Pac-12 missing out on on the majority of, of the college football season. Next week is when it gets going. I want to know from you, what has been your interest level in this college football season? And do you feel as though, you know, it's really it's hard to get invested because there's nothing else going on out here on the West Coast? I do, Curtis. I mean, it's, it's for me, it's it's been impossible. I mean, I'm I'm not invested. I'll be honest with you. I'm not not I'm not paying attention to it because of of exactly what you said. I mean, there's not a team within 500 miles of here that's playing, and um, that's. That's just the way it is. I, you know, I think when, when they're playing on the West Coast, you kind of get into that rhythm out here of, of watching the early games and setting you up for the, you know, the, the later games and, and the, Pac-12, the Pac-12 games in particular. But, you know, for me, and, and I think most of us living on the West Coast, college football is, is, a, is an afternoon, early evening sort of thing. And you don't have it. So I think that's it 100%. I, I think that it'll, it'll probably change uh, fairly dramatically once they get rolling. But it's different. I mean, it's completely weird. I mean, you've got you've got it starting other places, 
you're halfway through the NFL season and, and it hasn't started yet. So I'm very curious as, as to what, what, the, what the fan level is going to be like in other places. Now, I think it'll be pretty good in Washington. Um, a, you've got teams that have been successful in the past couple of years. And, and two, you've got, you got brand-new coaches in both circumstances, new quarterbacks in both circumstances. So there's a lot to be interested in. But, you know, places like Cal, Stanford, I don't see a tremendous amount of interest in college football happening there. Considering what the Cardinals did to the Seahawks last week, I doubt Arizona State's going to get a lot of a lot of buzz. So I'll be very curious to see what kind of buzz, if any, the Pac-12 gets. But uh, I, I I feel exactly the way you said. I mean, I just I've not been able to get into it yet. Hey, Graz, sorry about that. Little tech issues for me. So happy to talk to you. And one of the questions I really wanted to ask you: You have a great history here in Seattle of seeing this Mariners organization. You've been through the quote-unquote semi-rebuilds. Now we do the re, the full breakdown rebuild. Is there any sort of different feeling for you heading into next Mariners season or into this offseason for the Mariners? See, it's good to talk to you too. And, um, yes, I would say that, look, I mean, the Mariners, you could argue, have never done this before, ever. Even when they were successful, when, when Woody Woodward put together the 95 team, you know, th- that was probably the beginning of it. But, you know, you had to add pieces to it. And, and Pat Gillick, you know, then came in and made 2001 happen with, with Ichiro and with veterans. So, you know, that they, they built it up one point in time, you know, when Griffey and, 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 you know, it started with Griffey and kind of ended with A-Rod and you had some drafts in between. Uh, but you had to add big time players to it to get good. Um, this, this feels different for a variety of reasons. Uh, first off, they really truly made the commitment to young players. Now, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, I remind everyone that, that, uh, as much as things can look good on the farm, in particular as they did, uh, not this year, obviously, but the year before, and, and the great play of some young guys, I mean, young guys bounce hot and cold. There's no guarantees. So, you know, I mean, the Mets found that out with Edwin Diaz, for example. So, you know, Texas found that out this year. They were expected to have a, a pretty good season and didn't. So I, I think that uh, the, the different feeling is that they actually truly have made a commitment to go young and have stuck with it. And I think that they, you know, looking at the example of, of San Diego and, and the Chicago White Sox in particular, Taylor, uh, that it's time to take advantage of it now. So I would, I would think that if they want to generate some more buzz, it's about, okay, we may be in a position where we think we can contend right now. And, and uh, I think that they'll make some offseason moves this year, unlike ones in the past, and, and actually get people excited about about winning baseball. I think people are excited about watching the young guys play. Now it's time to take the next step, in my opinion. Yeah, well, you are the, the chief captain of the Dare to Dream Express, and I, <laughs> I think I'm buying my ticket today after that. Choo-choo. I'm ready. I'm ready for it. Uh, last yeah, well, question. No, we got me. some good karma going. I mean, you know, I, I, yeah. I, was, I was laughing yesterday. I mean, for years and years and years uh, at Sonic Games, I remember the guy holding up the sign, Legalize Kemp, and then Sean Kemp opens up a pot shop yesterday. So, Things are things are happening in a positive karmic way in Seattle. I think you you read my mind there. Perfect transition. The big news yesterday of Seattle. Yes, we got to see a little bit of a Kemp Payton reunion in a different way. Yeah. But you are the master storyteller. Just quickly, a favorite Kemp and Payton memory that you have from the Sonics days back here in Seattle. Oh man, I mean, so so many of them. Um, you know, from from the playing standpoint, just just go to YouTube and, and grab any Kevin Calabro highlight. I think uh, I think the the funny thing was um, was when you had George Carl in the mix, and I was working across this. I was working at that point for the for the station that owned the team, so we, we were all in the same building, and um, every single day, you heard either what did 
you hear what either Sean said, Gary did, or George is going to do? And it was every single day that there was something like that going down. Um, I think the thing that struck me is, and, and about, about both of them, and, and it kind of showed up yesterday, is how much they were in the community. I mean, Kemp talked about playing ball. I mean, you would see him um, in, in various playgrounds playing ball all the time. Uh, Peyton was always around as well. I remember doing an interview with George Carl, and um, this, was, uh, this was probably right in the middle of their heyday, and he just looked beleaguered and, and just looked exhausted. And uh, so I was talking to him off the air before we went on the air, and I said, well, Coach, you look tired. And he looked at me and he said, Graz, if you had to deal with Sean Kemp and Gary Payton every day, it would age you 100 years. <laughs> so they, they, were, they, were, they were a handful off the court, but a bigger handful on the court. And they, they, they made Seattle cool. I mean, in my book, I mean, there was nothing like that experience of, of going to a Sonic game when you had Payton and Kemp playing. You had Pearl Jam guys and, and, and other rock and rollers, you know, Sir Mix-a-Lot, all these guys, you know, prominent at the games. The collateral, Marcus Johnson was, was the best broadcast crew going. They just gave you an absolute sense of cool. And, and um, it's just, I think, in, in speaking to that, it, it's really great that Sean Kemp has stayed in town. He used to love Oscar's Kitchen and went there all the time as well. So I, I wish him the very best with Sean Kemp Cannabis. And it's kind of cool that those guys are, are, are holding the torch and, one day, one day, T, the Sonics will be back. We'll see it. It'll happen one day. I know. You and I, we'll be going there together. I promise you. Sounds good to Graz, me, buddy. Graz, we love having you, and, and you've always got a spot here on, on Seattle Sports Saturday. What, what, what do you got on the docket this weekend? Uh, well, for me, it's busily you know, trying to stay alive, Curtis. <laughs> Socially distancing, <laughs> going for walks, you know, avoiding people, you know, doing all the crazy stuff that 2020s had to do, and then mourning the death of Sean Connery. My God, this year won't end, oh, will it? It will not. Yeah, rest in peace to Sir Sean Connery, the greatest James Bond, if you if you ask me. Graz, but I'll do this anytime you guys like, man. It was a lot of fun. Hey, we enjoy having you, Graz. He is the Graz. You can hear him every day with John Clayton at 11.45. And who knows, uh, even more often here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Graz, you have a great rest of your weekend. Thanks, Graz. That is the Graz. Coming up here on Seattle Sports Saturday at 11 o'clock, we'll get you a national perspective of the big three. But coming up next, does the Seahawk magic work on everyone? We'll talk that next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports Saturday. Be sure you're downloading the podcast, 710sports.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever it is you get those. Taylor, the Seahawks pull off the the biggest trade of the, of the trade deadline season so far, uh, at least I'm going to say it. Carlos Dunlap from Cincinnati to the Seahawks, seventh-round pick B.J. Finney to the Bengals. But it follows a trend that we've seen over the course of John Schneider and Pete Carroll's tenure where they go after guys who are disgruntled. Graz mentioned uh, when he was on with us just moments ago that he thinks that is a a staple of Pete Carroll, getting guys to buy in who may have have felt underutilized, uh, in their current situations, why do you think it is that Pete and John go after these kinds of guys? To me, I think they look at it as a situation where they can buy a player low. You know what I mean? As far as the cost of what it 
it, 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 of doing business and getting that player on the team. But I also think they believe in their system, right? That they truly believe that under Pete's guidance and his system, that players can come in there and truly find their best versions of themselves, right? That they can truly express themselves like the famous NWA song and, and come to Seattle oh. and be who they want to be, right? And, and find the exact role that they should be playing in. So, and I think that's, it comes from the their track record of, of taking some guys in and, you know, some with, with, uh, you know, issues on the field or off the field and being able to turn them into productive members of the team. And not only that, mo uh, some of them productive members of just society in general, and that Pete can truly sh shape some of these people. And I think some of that comes from his college experience, that he loves to shape some of these people from young men into true adults. Yeah, and you look at just the the sheer numbers of the guys that they've acquired via trade over the last, you know, 10 years or so, it, it seems as though there's about one of these trades per season. Um, in, in 2020, it's been two guys. It's been Carlos Dunlap just a couple days ago. And then it was Jamal Adams back during the summer. And, and as we know, and as many people around the NFL know, Jamal Adams was trying to do everything possible to get out of the Jets organization, and he succeeded. And I don't think anybody's blaming him now for how he handled himself to leave the Jets organization because, holy cow, what an absolute – I mean, I would call it a dumpster fire, but that would be insulting to dumpster fires with how bad the Jets have been so far this season. But just looking at some of these players, and I think Paul Gallant, he also wrote about this on 710sports.com. Make sure you're checking that out, too. Just looking at a case-by-case -case example of some of these players who were unhappy with their current situations, the Seahawks pick them up and how they turned out. Let's look at the Jamal Adams trade right now, Taylor. I think that one has worked out so far so good. Now, once Jamal Adams is doing his contract negotiations. I think then we'll see whether or not that trade has actually has actually helped out the Seahawks in a big way. But I think so far it's been a really good move by the Seahawks. Yeah, and he just feels like one of those Seattle guys, right? He's he's wearing his helmet while he's watching the game at home. He's tweeting. He's amped up. He loves Pete. You can just tell. He's almost been reinvented by coming to Seattle, and he's found a new version of himself, which is wild to think because Jamal Adams is the best players defensively in the NFL in his short career. So to reinvent yourself and to be that level of a player, I think the sky is the limit. I think you're totally right in saying, let's see what the contract is like. But to me, I already feel like it, when he comes back this year, he's going to contribute. You've already seen him contribute um, with a few sacks. I just am, he is one of those players that when they acquired him, he excited me. When I saw him in person, he excited me. When I see him on social media, he excites me. He has that feeling. I don't think I've felt this excited about a Seahawk player individually since Marshawn Lynch and just the connection and the energy. I, I just am truly drawn to Jamal Adams and I can't wait to see what else he can do on the football field.
I think you said it perfectly. That energy that he brings, it's in every facet of of who he is. And it's not just who he is on the field, but every time he speaks, you can tell he, you know, is speaking from the heart. And every time he posts on social media, you know, he's he's hyping up his guys. He's hyping up Russell Wilson. He's hyping up DK. Uh, I mean, he has just been a, a breath of fresh air ever since coming to the Seahawks organization. And there were plenty of people uh, who were worried about who he would be or, or what he would bring to the Seahawks organization. And I don't think anybody has had any sort of problem with what Jamal Adams has been in Seattle. And I think that was a clear case of somebody in need of a change, change of scenery. Uh, another example is somebody else in that secondary. That'd be Quandre Diggs, who also has yep. a, a very fire social media presence as well. Oh, yeah. Detroit, a god-awful organization. Matt Patricia, just somebody that is, I feel like, kind of playing out the string there. Uh, Quandre Diggs comes over. He becomes a member of not just the Seahawks, but the Seahawks community. He's somebody that has loved his time here in Seattle. Uh, Some other examples, though. Let's look at some examples that may or may not have panned out for the Seahawks. Jadevian Clowney, who was Mm -hmm. disgruntled in Houston. He comes over and plays, what, 13 games a year ago, but doesn't re-sign with the Seahawks. How would you grade that trade ultimately made by the Seahawks? I think it's a C, right? I think you it was good value. You were able to, you know, not up too much to take the risk to bring him in, knowing that he might not re-sign there, right? Knowing that it might be a rent-a-player. You know, but he didn't necessarily put up those crazy stats. His impact was more... It was it was more visual, right? You had to watch him on the field to see his sort of impact, and you know, and then eventually he signs elsewhere. It, it just felt like if I had to pick yes or no, did the magic work on Clowney? I'm gonna say no because I think he would still be here. I think he would have found a way to to stay and to get it done to be a part of this, um, you know, the playoff run and potentially a Super Bowl run here in Seattle. So. I, I wouldn't necessarily be mad at that trade if they went back in time and did it again, even knowing what we know now. But I'd say if the magic worked on converting him to Pete-ism, I'd say no. <laughs> well, and then the 206 brings this up uh, before we go. They say, I think the disgruntled player trend started with Marshawn Lynch. I, yes. I think it starts and ends with Marshawn. I mean, I think he's the yes. greatest example, not just really in, in Seahawks history, but maybe uh, in NFL history. This was somebody that was definitely on the outs in, in Buffalo. He comes over to Seattle and and puts together, in my mind, a Hall of Fame career. Uh, somebody that is definitely worthy of a spot in Canton and, and was the straw that stirred Seattle offensively through the best years of this franchise. And rarely in the NFL do we really see someone get that change of scenery trade and really make a Hall of Fame impact, right? We, we've seen it a few times in, in baseball and other sports, but the NFL, it doesn't feel as tangible as some of the other sports that the change of scenery can help this person find themselves. But Marshawn, he is, like you said, Curtis, he's the alpha and the omega of this example. He's the start <laughs> and the end that he truly is the reason why the Seahawks and John and Pete believe they can do this because they did it with Marshawn to the highest possible level. And he may have a Hall of Fame career because of those two guys and, and what they were able to do to get him to Seattle. So Marshawn is the example. He is the magic man. He is everything. 
I, I miss him. I just can they just sign him again, just so I can just be hey. weirdly excited about an old running back in the backfield. Not out of the realm of possibility. Coming up in the next hour, we take a trip around the league, look at some of the biggest headlines heading into week eight. But before we do that, we'll get you the 11 o'clock hours, big three, right here on Seattle Sports Saturday.